Hey, LifeBridge, we are back. We are talking about wisdom. We've been doing a series of conversations about wisdom. And um, as we're talking about engaging with the world and knowing how to, how to wisely wade through information and everything from politics to culture, how do we do that with wisdom? And how do we sense God's will and what's going on in the world? We're talking through some of the different things that get in the way of wisdom. And today we are talking about uh, what we're calling entrenchment, which is the idea that we have a defensive posture about our beliefs. Yeah. So th- before we started uh, recording, we you brought up the example of uh, Joe Buck. So if you're a sports fan, you know who Joe Buck is. And I think this is a great example of entrenchment, what we're talking about. Um, so he's a, a commentator for Fox, I believe. And he gets most of the biggest games. So he does like the World Series. He'll do Sports the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. If Fox has the Super Bowl, he'll do the Super Bowl. He's like their number one guy. Um, most people think Joe Buck is very biased right. in his in his presentations of the game. And I think a good example is like if you and I were watching a uh, Packers-Bears game, then you know I would think he's talking about Aaron Rodgers all the time. Right. Because Aaron Rodgers is great. Yeah, but... Well, I'm just saying, just, and Joe Buck would agree with me, right? Yeah, you don't have to go there, man. Okay. I mean, I remember watching a, uh, a Cubs game and just thinking like, man, he's talking about the other team so much and I was getting so frustrated. And it's because I'm like, I'm emotionally invested in this game. Right. So everything negative that he says about my team or everything positive that he says about the other team, I take a lot more seriously and it seems to hit a little harder than, than it would if I was just an objective bystander watching the game. Yeah, he calls football games the most, but he also calls the World Series on Fox. And baseball, more than any other sport, is the sport where people are used to having their hometown broadcast, right, right. right? So if I watch 100 games with the hometown broadcast, and then I in the playoffs, I get Joe Buck, he's not paid by one of the teams. He is... He is a neutral party, and if both teams come in used to hearing that hometown broadcast, they're both going to think that he loves the other team. I mean, you you can see like this this article that had screenshots of tweets of like, why does Joe Buck love the other team so much? Everybody thinks Joe Buck hates their team, and it's because they're used they're used to bias. And, mm-hmm. and when we talk about this idea, we tend to have this resting sort of assumption that we are the pinnacle of unbiased thought in the world. And when it comes to sports, that's obviously not true, right? I think Giannis, uh, who's on the Bucks, he gets the worst whistle in basketball. And I really do believe that. <laughs> but I love Giannis as a player. And let's be honest, um, I'm not exactly unbiased on this, right? I remember reading that Joe Buck article and thinking about like, gosh, this is how we view the world. Mm-hmm. When people aren't, when people don't share our biases, we label them as biased and may, I'm sure they have their, the biases of their own around politics, around whatever. But something as simple as a sports game, you know, um, I'm a Packer fan. If if all year I listen to Wayne Larravee on the radio shouting it's a dagger every time they score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then I listen to Joe Buck announce a game with Troy Aikman, I'm going to be like, well, of course they hate the Packers because <laughs> Aikman was a cowboy in the 90s. It's like, hey, guys. I'm not unbiased either. So I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to be this, like I'm not going to be able to judge their contribution without bias any more than they're going to be able to bring no bias to the table. Yep. Talk about the same thing in news. I think it's ridiculous when news networks claim to have no bias, just own it. Just say it. Just say like we're the left leaning network or we're the right leaning. Mm-hmm. Just say it. Cause yeah. everyone knows, yeah. but where we, this entrenchment idea is the idea that we appoint ourselves as the pinnacle of what is fair what is what is right, what is balanced. I think about it in a business transaction. It's kind of a common uh, ism. 
if there's a transaction between both sides, if it's truly fair, both people are going to feel a little bit shorted because that factors that bias into place, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you think a car is worth $6,000 and I think it's worth $5,000, we settle on $5,500, right? We both don't feel like we got a great deal there. We're coming at it from different biases, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then meeting in the middle. And that's a good point because we all tend to we all tend to overvalue the things that we have. And when it comes to our thinking and our opinions and, and our philosophies, we, we overvalue them. And then when we come to the table with them, uh, we end up just being defensive. And this entrenchment idea is a great picture of it because we, we're entrenched in our idea and then we're just we're backed up against the wall and we start defending ourselves. So I think the first thing we have to do is just recognize that we aren't the, the gold standard right. of, of um, objectivity. And start there, recognize that we do have these biases, and then approach um, approach these conversations about politics, approach conversations about, or when we read about current events, for example, sure. even approach how we, how we read the biblical text with the resting assumption that we are not the pinnacle of objectivity. Right. Because that, that leads us to be so blind where we just miss what is right in front of us. It's kind of like what we, what we always say about marriage. Like if an outside uh, observer, a third party observer looks at my marriage like they can probably tell me all the things that I'm doing wrong yeah. and how to correct them, yeah. even though they have a ton of stuff going on in their marriage too. Yep. But me, I can't see it in my marriage because I'm so subjective and emotionally invested. Right. And if we have that resting assumption that we're right, what can happen is we put too much trust in our own gut instinct sometimes. So I think about in like the Christian world, something like, you know, something that resonates. If, you know, if, Someone says something to you and you say, oh, that resonates, which is like kind of like a Christianese thing that I, I, I will say is a joke sometimes. But, or a man, that word was spot on. That message they gave was spot on. If that just means it resonates with me as what I feel is true already, there's a difference between truth, objective truth, and what resonates with me. But if we, if we come from that resting assumption that we're right, then whatever resonates will, um, will be confirmation for us of what is true. And that's dangerous because we talked a little bit in the influencer episode about um, some pastors aren't trying to tell you what's true. They are trying to tell you what resonates with you mm. because it makes you come back. It makes you buy books. It may whatever. So if you start from that resting assumption of if it resonates with me, it's true. You're going to get some things really wrong. Yep. And this is where it gets tricky because there are some, like there are essential doctrines of the faith that we're holding to with a close fist, right? For sure. Um, that we're not, we're not changing on. So like in the life of Jesus, we see this, we see him be defensive at certain points. And at certain points we see him just being silent in the face of criticism. So like when he's, uh, when he's before Pilate, he's silent. He doesn't really answer any of his criticisms. Um, and then in Matthew 22, he just straight up tells people who are challenging him, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And then he right. teaches them the truth of what is actually true there. So this this is where wisdom is required and we have to be, um, we have to cling to the essentials of the doc- of the faith and hold to those. Um, we can be, we can defend those, of course. Nobody's telling you that you can't or that you shouldn't, but we need do need to be aware of those secondary tertiary doctrines that we are uh, clinging to subjectively and not willing to analyze in a, in an objective manner, especially these, these, uh, uh, when we look at political things, when we look at cultural, um, things happening in the world around us, what filter are we running these through in our mind? Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. This is, this is not us saying 
truth is subjective. Yeah, there yeah. is no, we, we already recorded basically a whole episode talking about how there is something that is true. The basics of our faith, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the son of God, that is a place for certainty. Mm-hmm. We're talking more about, um, we're talking about politics. We're talking about current events. We're talking about those areas where we, we tend to have a lot of certainty that in some cases might be unfounded. Uh, something that I was thinking about just the other day, I think, uh, I think about how crazy it is that more people were arrested in Washington, D.C. after the protests than were arrested in Portland this past summer um, and how crazy that is. Um, but then I also just made that up. And the point of me making that up, and I've used this with a couple people in conversations in the, in the last few months, is to reinforce that idea that, that when I said that, it might have resonated with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it wasn't actually true. I just made it up. Right. There is, there's a lot of misinformation where people, um, don't have all the facts, you know, on Facebook or whatever. There's also disinformation, which is intentionally misleading you to serve a specific end. And there's a lot of that stuff on the news, on social media. There's people that have no interest in telling you what is true, mm-hmm. but they can find something that resonates and if you're, if you have too much trust in yourself, it feels good to you, feels good in the gut, then we can go with it. And it's like, well, I just, I literally just made it up. Um, David French wrote an article a while ago about that, um, about how we in the church are, are look, Christians are looking for um, lawyers, like defense lawyers instead of prophets. So I think that, um, that juxtaposition is really a good one here because defense lawyers, their job is to make you look great. All of your strengths look great or the good things that you've done look great and minimize all of your flaws or the things that you did wrong. Prophets, their job is to call out the things that you've done wrong and to point you towards righteousness, towards adherence to God's way better. And we we don't like prophets. People in the Old Testament did not like prophets. Uh, people in Jesus' time did not like Jesus as a prophet, <laughs> right? They killed right. him. Um, we don't think Jesus was just a prophet, but he was a prophet. He was, he was a prophet and much more, but... Um, they didn't like the apostles either. So we don't like prophets. Uh, a prophet is without honor in their own town, right? As Jesus says, um, because they know him, they watched him grow up and now they're, now he's telling them that they're wrong about stuff. People don't like that. Um, but back to that David French article, he, he says, make no mistake. We love our pundit lawyers. Uh, if they're good at what they do, they can state our position better than we ever could by sharing their articles and quoting their tweets. They give us all the ammunition we need in our online wars. They do not, however, make us search our hearts. They do not make us question our priors. If the lawyer pundit is dangerous and polarizing in politics, the lawyer pastor or lawyer theologian or lay lawyer Christian can present challenges for our hearts and souls. He protects us from seeing our own sin. He reassures us that while we are, of course, not perfect, we are fundamentally right. And then later on in the article, he writes of prophets, Spend five minutes reading the Bible, and you'll quickly learn that prophets are often unpopular. They often shout into the void, ignored, despised, and persecuted. In the results and metrics-oriented populism of much of American Christianity, the prophet is truly without honor in his own country. His message doesn't, quote, work until hearts break under the weight of their own sin, and then suddenly it does. That's so good. David French, um, and you guys can find that article, read it. his comparison of defense attorneys and, and, and prophets in terms of what people in the American church are asking for, I think it's so good. And I'm not going to call myself a prophet, but I do believe and we believe that as pastors, we are called to speak prophetically to our church. 
What we mean by that is we feel called to call out the sin, call out the idols, call out the blind spots within our church community first and foremost. We do not feel called to be defense attorneys for the people in our church. And what I mean by that is this. You're not going to come to church and hear John preach a sermon that's basically like, guys, we're doing a lot of things right. Yeah, we're not perfect, but compared to those people over there, that's not that's not even close to what we feel called to do. What we do feel called to do is is call out the sin that's in our own lives and in the lives of the people in our communities as best we can. Mm-hmm. So one of the big uh, one of the common things that we've heard over the last few months as we've been recording these episodes and it I understand it. I really do get it on some level how people go here. So there was a the incident at the Capitol on January 6 and the the most common pushback we've heard is like you know guys there were there were riots all summer and you guys didn't say much about those but on January 6 now it's something worth talking about, right? And um our response to that, I think, is pretty simple, and it has to do with who's doing the rioting. You talk about Antifa. You talk about um, some of the some of the worst incidences um, connected to Black Lives Matter or whoever it was. What I know is it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't emblematic of the people that go to LifeBridge Church. The people that sit in our pews were not were not even remotely tempted to go burn down a business or riot. Um, that's not, that's not us. What, what felt a lot more like us was what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And we know that because you can watch video clips where you hear Caleb playing in the background. You can watch video clips where you hear people praying from, from inside the Capitol and they're thanking God because they truly believe they're doing God's will. And it was, it wasn't a high church uh, Anglican or Catholic prayer. It was a prayer that sounded like a prayer you would hear at a church like LifeBridge. People use the word just a lot, <laughs> you know, like it, it was, it was, that felt like us. And so, and you can, you can read polls of how many evangelicals believe in the stop the steal stuff. Um, there was a reason that we felt like that was something that, that applied to us and we needed to talk about. If we pastored a church in Portland, Oregon, we would be calling out different things. We would be calling out different idols. We'd be t- calling out different blind spots. We'd be calling out d- different sin. But our church is in small town, Burlington, Wisconsin, heavily conservative, heavily middle class or upper class, heavily white. So we try to call out the blind spots that we believe exist here. And that's what we believe we're called to do. Yep. I think you're right about that. We, we view our calling is to uh, help foster an environment for the Holy Spirit to change people's hearts and draw people to Christ so that we become more like Jesus. And us just saying everything that we, we already agree on and that we want to hear, it just doesn't really help, right? It doesn't help us become more like Jesus because those are the things that we already agree on. Second Timothy 4.2 says, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So we take that seriously. We want to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Um, and that's that's what we're trying to do with these is to help us think clearly about this stuff, encourage us where we are thinking clearly uh, and biblically about things, and and help us to think, respond to what's going on in the culture, and speak more like Christ. Yeah, that, there's a, actually just a tweet that I saw the other day from, her name is Karen Swallow Pryor. 
And the tweet is just this, a person or institution that doesn't self-correct will self-destruct. And we, um, we are a part of an institution right now, um, not just LifeBridge, but like the, the capital C church that we're a part of in a sense that needs to do some self-correcting. Nobody's going to do it for us. We have to do it or we will face destruction. The road we're on right now is not a good road. And um, we have to acknowledge that. We have to correct or we will self-destruct. So we talk about these things not because we want to be negative, not because we want to complain, not because we're secret closeted leftists, far from that, but we've got to make some changes. Um, and if we don't, it's going to self-destruct. We don't mean that, you know, we know the theology of the Jesus is going to build this church that the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. Like, right. We're not saying that, the, that Jesus is going to be off the throne and the church is no longer going to, going to exist. Right. But, but especially this form of Christianity, Christian yeah. evangelicalism here, um, it, it will, and our, our form of evangelical Christianity is not synonymous with the church. Right. Yeah. So this form may look very different. It may self-destruct and it may, 100%. it may look very different a hundred years from now. Yeah. Um, if we aren't self-correcting and if we aren't faithfully um, seeking to make our church and our lives look more like the true authentic church. We don't know another way to do it, to be honest with you. Um, and I do think there's some sentiment sometimes. We've heard some feedback. What people sometimes want is a sermon that's basically like, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing a good job. Some of that is that, again, it's that resting assumption that what you're doing is the right thing to do. But also, you might have had different church experiences um, where that's sort of what you come to expect out of out of churches. You want to be, you want what you're already doing to be reinforced and defended and compared to things that are worse so that you feel better about what you're doing. Um, that's not what we feel called to do. And I don't, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, so please know that our heart behind this is not to deconstruct. It's not to pick apart. It is 100% to build the church of Jesus Christ in our community, to build the kingdom here. We want to build something that is God's will. We want to build something that looks more like the kingdom. Um, and we, we do feel like we're in a moment where we need to start that by calling out blind spots, by calling out idols, by calling out sin in our own camp, just, just as prophets did in the Old Testament, just as Jesus did with the Pharisees. Um, that is what we feel called first and foremost to do right now. Um, and again, it, it's, not, it's not negativity for the sake of negativity. It's not, um, there's not something that we're not telling you. We don't have some secret ulterior motive. This is it. This is really what it's about. We love the church. We want to build the church. We want to continue to be a part of the church, um, growing and be, looking more like the kingdom. And, um, but right now that looks like swallowing some hard pills. The church in America, the evangelical church in America is not doing a good job right now to, to just get together every Sunday morning and pretend we are, is not the answer. We have to self-correct. Um, and that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. We hope you hear our heart in that it's loving, it's hope filled. Um, and it's looking towards the future. It's not trying to maintain what we have right now. Amen. You said it really well, man. Um, as always, we'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening.